wise men follow him, they rose again. Wise men follow him, thank God for the renegades and the lives they Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, Conscience of Maine. Broadcast in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. You'll be hearing this on March 19th, 2016, and... Weather forecast for this weekend is sunny Saturday, partly sunny Sunday, seasonable temperatures. I haven't read the precise forecast up to the minute, but Sunday night into Monday, there's going to be snow. And the European model says we're going to get 15 to 18 inches in the Holton area. And about a foot in Bangor. The National Weather Service is holding back because this is a peculiar storm area, the weather pattern, and we might only get three inches. It's the, that's the low <clears throat> that we will expect. We're going to have poor driving conditions, poor visibility. It's going to be very windy. And it's about anybody's guess what's going to be Monday. Now, Monday is the first day of spring, and we're going to have a snowstorm. It's not unusual to get snow in March in Maine. It's not at all unusual. But we've got quite a we've got quite a interruption in our early spring that we're having. And on March 21st, that you know that came to me and. Uh, it stirred up a memory. And March 21st of 18 years ago, I was in uh, in Washington D.C. It was 1998, and I was there for a property rights congress. Property rights activists and students and researchers from all over the country gathered in Washington D.C. And we talked about the Northern Forest Land Study. We talked about the national park that the environmental in- industry wants to put in northern Maine. They don't just want Roxanne Quimby's imaginary park. They want it to go from southern Aroostook all the way to Niagara Falls. They want Maine, White Mountains in New Hampshire, Green Mountains in Vermont, the Adirondacks all the way out to essentially Syracuse right out to the Great Lakes, the Finger Lakes. You know, that's pretty heavily populated out there, but they want to get their tentacles into the whole thing. People say, well, why in the world does the federal government want all of this land? It's collateral. Now, there's a, a vision or something that you don't hear mentioned very much. The world functions on collateral. The world functions on real goods. Land is real goods. 
You can look at it. You can feel it. You can smell it. Crawl around in it. Grow products on it, whether it's wheat, corn, oats, soybeans, sugar beets, like old man Valsing tried to grow in Maine in 1976. A lot of people in Rustic remember that name, Valsing. It was a scam. Like <laughs> There was a newsman years ago named Donaldson on TV. He's in, on the nightly news. <clears throat> this is... This goes back 30, 40 years ago. But I believe his name was Sam, Sam Donaldson. And he had a sheep ranch out in the southwest, New Mexico, Arizona, someplace. He got huge government subsidies for his sheep ranch. And he was a newsman on TV. These things happen. Politics breeds strange bedfellows. And we've got a political system in our country that is starting to look a lot like ancient Rome. It's just, it's scary. If you're a student of history and a student of human nature, and if you're in the sales business, as I am, and have been in the past, human nature is a powerful thing. Like when you're showing a house, if you put a couple of drops of cinnamon in in a piece of aluminum foil, and you turn the stove on, electric or gas, if the power this power to the house. <clears throat> when a lady walks in the house and she can smell cinnamon, she just kind of gets this warm feeling that she'd like to have the house. This is not puffing. This is not fraud. It's just, you know, good things can happen here. And you, I promote the opportunities. I don't just sell buildings and houses. I am the northern Maine landman, sell a lot of land, but people want to people want to get out of the cities, and they're coming home to Maine. I got a this weekend. I hope to sell a farm and list a farm, not the same property. It's a working farm with cows and pigs and chickens and goats and whatnot. <clears throat> Don't know how many of each. About 50 acres, I don't know the exact acreage yet. Fields and woods, little brook. That's what people want. Got another one that's 120 acres. And that, I expect, will go under contract soon. But politics is really strange. We have a each party develops a platform. This is, these are their goals. This is their intent. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is their intent. This is what they stand for. And they, they announce it. This is what we stand for. This is what we want to do. Most platforms evolve mom, home, and apple pie. It's just intended to give you a warm feeling, just like the cinnamon in a kitchen when you're showing a house that's vacant with no furniture and it's cold. You know, it's, but there's opportunities there. I don't list houses very often. I list farms, which include houses, but just not in the residential side of, of this industry. Now on the platform committee for the Republicans in the state of Maine, each county gets one person. 
So there's 16 people on the platform committee, plus a few other appointed people. You got a representative from the governor. You got a representative from uh, Senator Collins' office. You got a representative from Bruce Baldwin's office. The chairman uh, of the Republican Party is a member, and you know, all told, there's probably 20, 24 people on there. We had our last meeting Wednesday night, and we've got a proposed platform. And the platform can be amended from the floor if you get enough signatures from various counties to this platform. You just can't walk in and say, I would like it to be this, and present the platform. One person can't come in and or a hundred people can't come in with a hundred different recommendations during the convention. You've got to have a little bit of organization, show some support for this thing, and get it proposed. That's how it works. I don't know how the Democrats do it, but we put together a, a pretty good platform, a little better than last time, in my opinion. A few more details, and we. Two of the things that I was particularly interested in, one is no national park in Maine, and they're not supposed to establish a national park without permission from that state. And usually they come in there with this great big announcement and and, uh, what a wonderful thing this would be. Well, there are a few places like the Grand Canyon, not good for much except for scenery, and it's okay to have a national park there, and a few others. You know, the Statue of Liberty, you know, should belong to the government. It was given to the people, and the government is going to take care of that site for the people. But we don't want national parks scattered willy-nilly all over the place because it takes productive land out of our economy. And. I personally am opposed to Roxanne Quimby's imaginary park. I coined that term about three three weeks ago, and people are picking up on it, and they really like it. It's an imaginary park because there are 57 private landowners within the boundary of Roxanne Quimby's imaginary park. They don't want to have a park there. They don't want to be what the federal government calls inholders. And there's lots of documentation of where they'll buy a national park and these people will be surrounded and they'll gradually squeeze them out. They'll force them out. They'll make life so miserable and so expensive for the people that live there that they leave. It happens with the state also. Down in Arcadia, Arcadia rather, they uh, they bought some land on the Scudic Peninsula without permission. What happens is they get an entity called the National Park Association or something like that that buys it, and then they flip it and they give it to the national park. So it's not actually tax dollars that they're doing it directly. So the director of the the Acadia National Park, you know, doesn't simply write a check off of his budget. They hide the money. So this national... National Park Association, whatever that, I don't have the exact term, but it's a it's a club. All it is is a club of environmentalists that want to grow government, make government bigger, stronger, and meaner. They take 
resources out of our economy. That's what they want. That's what the environmental industry's goal is, is to collapse our economy. And they say that. If you look at what they say, you know, they say, isn't it our duty to collapse the economy? It's all written down. It's just they have to look at. So, we've got a platform. We're going to have a convention here coming up end of April in Bangor. And I'm going, and we had caucuses. We had caucuses, uh, about 20 of them in Maine. We used to have town caucuses. They didn't like all that freedom all over the place where people could decide what they wanted to do. They wanted to condense it and make the caucuses bigger. So in Penobscot County, they had two caucuses, one in Bangor at Husson and one in Lincoln at Matanakuk Academy. Aroostook County had three caucuses up in north, middle, and south. The south was in Holton. They had three caucuses where all the towns could gather together and hold their town caucus in one big room and vote for the presidential candidate that they wanted to support individually. In our town, we all voted for Ted Cruz, with well, one exception. We had one Trump guy. I don't really understand why, but we did. It's okay. And you could vote secretly. We discussed it among ourselves, and it turned out that everybody except one wanted Cruz. We voted. And the Trump guy cast his ballot, and he said publicly that he he was voting for Trump. Okay. So make the world go round. Fifteen out of 16 counties in Maine voted for Trump. One county, Cumberland County, went with, excuse me, 15 out of 16 counties voted for Ted Cruz. Little blank there for a second. Slipped the cog. So 15 out of 16 counties voted for Ted Cruz. One county, Cumberland County, voted for Trump. But the city of Portland voted for Cruz. Now, the suburbs in Cumberland County voted for Trump. So he he did carry that one county in Maine. Now, right next door is New Hampshire. Same population as Maine. Similar organization, similar structure. But the difference is that in New Hampshire, a voter can change party affiliations on an hourly basis. In Maine, if you want to vote in the caucus, you have to be registered in that in that party two weeks earlier. We had a bunch of Democrats show up that wanted to vote for Trump. They wanted to change party affiliation. We said, well, you had to do that two weeks ago. What are you talking about? Yep, it's two weeks before the election that you have to vote. You have to register with that party. They went away mad because they wanted to vote for Trump. In New Hampshire, they had thousands of Democrats come in, register to vote Republican, voted in the in the caucuses and or primary, whatever, 
and turn around and walk out and re-register as Democrats. You can do that in New Hampshire. You can do that in lots of states, as it turns out. So, in those states where only Republicans can vote in the caucus or primary, Ted Cruz has won all of them except for Ohio. Kasich won Ohio. He's the governor. He's very popular. He's done a lot of good things in Ohio, and they they supported him. He got the most votes. I think it's something like oh, 35% or something like that. But even then, Cruz got some of the delegates. Now, some of the states are winner-take-all. So if you get one more vote than the other guy, you get all of the delegates from that convention, that, that state. They've got a state coming up. I forget whether it's North Dakota or South Dakota, where their convention will send a delegation to the national convention. None of those delegates are pledged legally to vote for any one candidate. They can change their mind when they arrive at the at the convention based on the information that's available at that time. Because the information that's available is changing daily. It's going to be a very interesting summer because you've got a bunch of radicals, these people who wear the white masks, it looks like the devil, uh, and there's definitely a connection with Satan with these people. They're always, always uh, causing strife, to put it mildly. Ferguson, Missouri, and Detroit, and Flint, Michigan, where they've got a poor water supply, and the government knew it. They just pumped the water anyway. There's a city in New Jersey where they've got 17,000 school children being tested for lead because there's lead in the water. So I guess maybe they used lead solder in the pipes, which is you know part 50-50 lead and tin. And when the water gets acid, which it does, it'll be very very slightly acid. Uh, it dissolves the lead and lead flows with the water and it goes wherever the water goes. Some of it goes in the wash basin, some of it goes down the commode, and some of it goes into Kool-Aid or kids drink it at the water fountain. So 17,000 kids are being tested for for lead. I don't know. I really don't know what the remedy is for lead when you get it into your system. I know that getting antioxidants into your system will help flush it out. And Jack can tell you more about that than I can. He's an expert. But all these things are being stirred up and magnified in our country. Since my last show, which was two weeks ago, I I was in Connecticut last Friday and Saturday, and I just couldn't squeeze in the time to do this. So, I mean, even Rush Limbaugh takes a day off and, and uh, you know, all, all talk show hosts take a day off from time to time. It's this, I've only missed one. I've been doing this about four years. And I've missed one show. 
I did one coming up the interstate on the cell phone once, and it worked. And uh, I take do them from camp, wherever I happen to be. But I just couldn't put it together last Friday. I apologize. And, and somebody said that they didn't they didn't play the the repeat on Saturday. At least he couldn't find it on his internet that he uses. So, but I'm back, all in one piece. Had a good trip. And it was 71 degrees, and the crocuses were coming up in Connecticut. And Monday they're supposed to get snow. Crocuses can tolerate snow. People can too. They'll get over it. But since my last show, Madison Paper Company shut down. Madison Paper Company, when I used to go there and call on them, was owned by Milioski Oi, a Finnish company. Now they're owned by a different, larger conglomerate uh, in Finland. I can't recall, the, I don't have the, the name right in front of me, but it's a Finnish corporation, and they're a worldwide paper producer. Madison made a great product. They made super calendar papers, which is very smooth paper, like when you're in the car magazines and the old time and Newsweek and U.S. News and World Report. Well, those weekly magazines have gone out of business for the most part because you can get the news instantly on the Internet. When something happens, it pops up instantly, and it can be viewed by anybody in the whole world. So weekly news magazines are, are nice if you've got your name in there and, and uh, you want it for a souvenir or something. But it's really not useful information. Now, some of the magazines, uh, I get Bloomberg Business Week, <clears throat> and the Bloomberg Financial Report and Business Week merged. <clears throat> they got bought out by Bloomberg and I get that magazine weekly. They give me a special good deal because they, they like me, I guess. About eight bucks a year or something. Other people pay 150 bucks a year for the same magazine. <clears throat> if it was 150 bucks a year, I wouldn't have it. But good stuff in there. And they analyze the oil industry, various large industries. They don't talk too much about individual corporations, except for the ones that that collapse, which is happening. A lot of them, an awful lot of mergers going on. You've got two companies that that are both doing poorly, and the stockholders in those two companies get together and they say, you know what, we're either both going to go down the drain, or if we merge and we only have one president and one board of directors and one set of management employees, we might be able to survive. So they merge. It's a buyout, just like Sears and Kmart. Big box stores are on the way out because you can see something you like on Amazon and click on it, pay for it, and it's there the next day if you want it. I have an iPhone that I like. It's a new one. I bought it uh, at the end of December. 
and I've had it for about three months. I bought a case. I bought a waterproof case for it. It's useless. The waterproof case is no good because you can't use the phone while it's in the waterproof case. You can make a phone call with it if you press hard enough on it and make the numbers work. But you can't look at the Internet. You can't read your email because finger pressure is insufficient. You can't, you can't control the screen. It's, it's a terrible product. So I sent away and bought a new one, a new product, and the screen is accessible. And it's got a battery on the back. So you can charge up the battery, and it's good for four or five days. You don't have to charge your phone every day or twice a day. I charge my phone going down the road usually. Just, I don't I don't text. Don't do that. Don't text. It's not just illegal. It can kill you. Because, you know, I ride a lot of back roads, and I ride with a lot of low light traffic. Still, it's just too dangerous. It's worse than drunk driving. I don't drink, but you... Uh, it's too dangerous to text. You can talk on the telephone. Now, that's illegal in Connecticut. You cannot talk on a cell phone in Connecticut. But Connecticut has a lot more dense traffic than we have. I don't talk on a cell phone when I'm in Bangor. But I talk on a cell phone going up the interstate. And lately, going up I-95, you look out ahead of you, there's no traffic. You look behind you, no traffic. The only, the only person on I-95. The travel is declining in our nation. And as the travel declines, the gas price goes down. It's not its not that we've discovered wonderful things and we have lots of crude oil available. We've got 3,000 years worth of crude oil in this world based on current uses of, of consumption. And Barack Obama and the environmentalists want us to go back to 1990 levels of usage. The purpose of that is to crush our economy. I don't say it that way, but that's the purpose. And if you look, read the fine print in the environmental industry's goals, that's their purpose. They say that right out front. They say we need to reduce the world's population by 300,000 people per day. Well, there's 300,000 people that would disagree with that plan. But they want them to die. March 21st, I was down in D.C. 1998 for a business meeting. It was actually the, the National Property Rights Congress. People from all over, people, ranchers from out west. And I met the Bundy family, uh, Mr. Bundy. And uh, he's the one with a, they've been harassing him for years. He had the last cattle ranch in southern Nevada. The last free-range cattle ranch, no no fences. His cattle could go where the feed was, and he he maintained the land. He had what they call water tanks, which are small ponds for the where the cattle could feed. He uh, he had good range grass for the cattle. They liked it. The Bundy family liked it. They've been there for over a hundred years, and the Bureau of Land Management wanted to evict them because a cattle might step on a tortoise, a desert tortoise. That was the excuse. It's like the spotted owl in 
in Oregon. They shut down the timber industry in Oregon because of the spotted owl. And when we supported them, we in Maine supported their effort through publicity and awareness. And that's what it takes. Shine the bright light of truth on them, and they'll scatter like cockroaches. In my jacket pocket, I've got a spotted dowel. It's a quarter-inch dowel, about four inches long, with a lot of black spots on it. And we meet with these people down in Augusta. We give them a spotted dowel. Everybody should have a spotted dowel. Here, here's yours. Give them a spotted dowel. And uh, you know, they'd get all flustered about it. It's like it's like slavery if you want <laughs> if you want to possess a creature that grew in the wild. So anyway, they, uh, if you can inject some humor into it and shine the bright light of truth on them, they'll leave. They'll withdraw. They can't take it. It's a religion with them, and they worship Gaia, the Earth Goddess, and they tell you that if you read their stuff. That's who they worship, Gaia. It's a it's a mythological god like the Roman gods. And all this stuff is connected. Now, back in Rome in 30 AD, there were there were 1.3 million people living in Rome in Italy. That's now, there's no city limits in Rome, but Rome was where the Vatican is today and the capital of Italy. And it was that right smack in the middle of Italy was Rome. It wasn't on the coast. It was inland, and it was on seven hills. And there were 1.3 people, 1.3 million people living in Rome. And between 30 and and 100 A.D. By the year 500 A.D., there were 12,000 people living in Rome. 12,000 people. That's not very many people compared to 1.3 million. That means for every citizen at 500 A.D., there were 1,000 citizens at 30 A.D. So what happened? Their economy collapsed. Their economy collapsed. They started printing coins out of copper instead of gold. And they said, this is our money. This is what you should take. Well, it didn't work. They didn't have paper money back then. When you start printing money that's worthless or worth less. Now, the difference between worthless and worth less is one tap on the space bar on your typewriter or your keyboard. Well, they lost the ability to coin their own money, and their money became worthless. And 1.3 million people cannot live on the barter system. So they had to leave. They died of old age and were not replaced, or they left 
They went out into the countryside where they could eke out a living with some chickens, a couple of goats, and maybe grow enough food for themselves. But the society collapsed because of fiscal mismanagement. Well, guess what, folks? We have got fiscal mismanagement in our country. Since Barack Hussein Obama was elected twice, by the way, and in the state of Maine twice, by the way, he has run up more debt for our federal government than all of the previous presidents combined. And I was talking about this at the coffee shop this morning. One guy came up, he said, well, that's because we fought that war. He borrowed money to fight the war in the Middle East. I said, all wars, from the Peloponnesian War in Rome to our Revolutionary War, Civil War, Spanish-American War, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, Gulf War One, Gulf War Two, and all the other ones in between, Grenada. I served in the Dominican Revolution, which nobody heard about, but I did. All of those wars were fought with borrowed money. They had war bonds. I remember war bonds. I was born before World War II. I can remember people buying war bonds. They'd have these rallies, and people would come in with their paycheck, and they'd, they'd buy a $20 bond, which was a lot of money. A $20 bond back then was more than $100 today. And people would go in, and they'd buy bonds. Ladies would turn in their, their silk stockings and go without stockings. In fact, some ladies would take makeup and they'd paint a line down the back of their legs like the seam of a silk stocking because they thought it looked cool. It's almost like a tattoo. <laughs> but they they gave their silk stockings in and they turned the silk into parachutes for our pilots and crews in World War II. Because guess what? We couldn't get silk out of Japan or China. They were working on making rayon, but that that wasn't reliable yet. You could make a shirt out of rayon, but a tore easily. And it was a no good-looking shirt, but rayon hadn't been developed to the point where it didn't tear easily. And you don't want a parachute to tear easily. When you jump out of an airplane and that parachute opens a great big pop, you don't want it to shred. You know, it just ruins the rest of the afternoon. So ladies donated their nylons. We donated all kinds of stuff that we had. Old tires, leather, pieces of leather. I mean, we really contributed to winning World War II as citizens. People had victory gardens. They plowed up their front lawn and planted vegetables so that the vegetables that grew on large corporate farms could be sent to Europe for our troops and our allies. Hitler famously said, we're not going to win the war. And he had a cake that had been captured from an American. It was a birthday cake that was flown from the United States to Europe to a soldier. And that position was overrun. Americans had to had to retreat. And they brought the cake to Hitler and said, look at this. 
this American had a cake flown here from these, that's it, the war is over, we're going to lose. <laughs> he knew that. We've got people like Hitler in this world today that are seizing upon the strife that exists. We've got 95%, excuse me, 95 million people in our country not employed. between the ages of 16 and 65. And a whole lot of those people would like to be employed if only we had businesses to employ them. And it's like the chicken and the egg, which came first? Well, you've got demand. People want to live. People want to have things. People want want to buy a home. But you have to have a job. You have to produce something in order to do this. Now, we've got service industries, all kinds of service industries. But service industries within an economy, whether it's a local town, whether it's a state, or whether it's a nation, cannot sustain that nation because money has to come in from outside of that system. And in economics, in economics I'm an economist, but I'm an amateur economist because I don't get paid to be an economist. But I took economics in college. I got straight A's in economics. I liked it. I understood it because I had a good economics professor. The man was dying of pancreatic cancer. He knew it. He knew he had between six and eight months to live. I was one of his last students. Well, a bunch of us were, but I I was lucky enough to be one of them. And he told us where money comes from, where money is, and where money goes. Money can be destroyed. And it can be taken out of circulation, and it's gone. Now, here's how that works. COMEX is a precious metal exchange in London, England. In 2003, just 13 years ago, there was one person who had a claim on one ounce of gold. Now, it was one person per ounce. In other words, you might have 1,000 ounces there, and one guy claims that 1,000 ounces. It's in his account. Those one-ounce coins belong to this guy. Or you can have a thousand ounce bar. Okay, a great big bar that weighs a thousand ounces. That belongs to somebody. Okay. In two thousand and eight, when we had our financial collapse, the Comex had twenty people claiming one ounce of gold. Because so many people took out the gold that they got to a point where they didn't have enough gold to pay off the people that owned the gold because they had been cooking the books. Now, this is called fractional reserve. And for a bank to loan money for Billy and Susie to buy a house, they've got to have 5% of the value of the house on deposit. Okay? So if Billy and Susie are buying a $100,000 house, the bank has to have $5,000 on the books and to lend $100,000. That's one twenty. Jeez, you know. 
What happens? Where did the other 95000 come from? The bank created the money. They simply wrote a check for ninety-five for $100,000 to the seller of the house that Billy and Susie bought. That day, Billy and Susie move in. And the people that sold the house go down to North Carolina and buy a double wide. And they live down there for 185 days a year. And they come home to Maine for 180 days a year, and that's 365 days. But they live down in North Carolina. They established a residence in North Carolina because you can register the brand new Chevy crew cab Denali for $27 a year instead of $2,400 a year. This is not hard to figure out. There's no inheritance tax down there. There's no death tax. There's no income tax. You know, that's it's low low cost living. How can how can North Carolina do that? How can New Hampshire do that? New Hampshire has no sales tax and no income tax. They own all the liquor stores, they own the racetrack down in Rockingham, and they have a small corporate income tax, but it's not very big. And New Hampshire is booming. On the other side of what I call the Maple Curtain is Maine. Maine has a corporate income tax. Maine has a death tax. Maine has a sales tax. Maine has a personal income tax. And all these taxes add up as a disincentive to coming to Maine. Yet, people still want to come to Maine because of our beautiful scenery. Many of our towns have no comprehensive plan. We're a low-hassle operation that runs efficiently. We have relatively low taxes in some of those towns. The towns that have a high-hassle environment, lots of the comprehensive plan is very expensive to maintain and enforce. They've got to have a crew of enforcers to do that. So be careful where you buy, because you don't want to. You may find out that you can't do what your neighbor's doing because you're on the other side of an invisible line. But back to the Comex Gold Exchange. Two thousand and three, it was one to one. In other words, your gold was there, and you could walk up to the window and say, "I want my ten ounces of gold," or my my 4,000 ounces of gold, which is worth about, today, about $6 million, okay? And take it, load it in the truck, head down the road, your gold. 2008, it went to 20 ounces. The 20 people per ounce, in other words, for every ounce of gold in there, there were 20 people that had a legitimate claim to the gold. And then in 2014, because the economy recovered after the after Obama was elected, the world economy recovered. We had a big recession. Stock market went from 14,000 to 7,000. That's not real money. The stock market could, could have gone down, but the real value of those corporations didn't change. It's just the paper money value changed. Okay, now, 2014, 
the value, the number of people that had claim on one ounce of gold was one. So they were back to par. The Comics Exchange in London had enough gold to satisfy the needs of all the people that had gold there on deposit. Now, in 2015, the number of people having a claim on an ounce of gold was 50. 50 people have a claim on that gold. The gold in the London Exchange, in the COMEX, was so low that there were 50 people with a claim on each ounce. So one, if two people walked up, the first guy would get his ounce. The second guy and the other 49 people in that line wouldn't get their gold because it was gone. Somebody took it. Now, that's scary enough. But in 2016, right now, there are 650 people that have a claim on the gold in the comics in London. That's the commercial exchange. 650 people. Holy mackerel. It's not going to do you any good to try to withdraw your gold from the London Commercial Exchange. It's gone. Germany took all of their gold out and brought it to Germany. They're not stupid. Because after World War I, when the value of the Deutschmark collapsed, the guy with the old story in, in Germany was a guy brought a whole wheelbarrow full of money to the bakery to buy a loaf of bread. When he came back out, the pile of money was there and somebody had stolen his wheelbarrow. Because the money wasn't worth anything. He might as well use it as fuel in, in the wood stove. And what Germany did is they took the bankers outside the bank and they hung them from the lamppost. Now, if you're a farmer and you've got a crop and the crows are picking away at your vegetables and your food crop, you shoot a couple of crows and you hang them from a barbed wire fence and the other crows take notice of that and they say, oh, let's not hang around this field. Let's go someplace else to look for our food. And the crows hang hang there on the barbed wire fence and the problem is solved. The bankers in this world says, let's see what happens. So in Crete, which is an, an island in the Caribbean, it's a nation, a small, small nation, but it's an isolated economy. So they did a study, and they took half of everybody's savings, half. guy had $150,000 in the bank, and he gets a note from the bank and says, Mr. Jones, guess what? You now have... $75,000 in the bank. Now, when the federal government goes into an industry like General Motors and they have a bailout, they take a whole bunch of federal government money and they put it into General Motors so that the company doesn't collapse. So all the unions and their pensions are good shape and the stockholders were mostly in good shape. But all the salaried people at General Motors the engineers, the designers, the marketers, salespeople, they lost their pensions. The federal government took it from them. Okay? 
And they got away with it. They got away with it. Barack Hussein Obama has doubled our national debt in just over seven years. And that clown they put in there to replace Boehner, Paul Ryan, they're talking about sticking him in as president. He won't need to be elected. They'll just kind of appoint him. And he'll be the president. They're trying that. They're talking about it. They're warning us about this. And what we do and how we nominate and select our presidential candidates in both parties is being perverted. It's a takeover. I don't think they're going to get away with it. I don't think they're going to get away with it. But this year, 2016, is going to look a whole lot like 2008. Excuse me. I was looking at it on my paper. It's going to look a whole lot like 1968. A lot of my listeners were around in 1968 when they had riots, big riots in Detroit, South Watts, New Orleans, all around the country, Newark, New Jersey. I mean, people were burning stores. Like It's like Henderson, Indiana, near Indianapolis. They had a, a criminal who robbed a store, and then he decided to beat up a police officer that same afternoon, about an hour later, and the police officer defended himself and shot the criminal. And they had riots for days and weeks out there. Oath keepers went went there, and oath keepers were on the roofs of many businesses out there. And they filled the same role that, that the Korean shopkeepers did in South Watts. And those huge riots where they burned down whole blocks out there back in 1968, there were no Korean shops burned. Because they got up on the roof with shotguns and rifles and told people, we're closed today, go away. Don't you try to harm my store. And they were left alone. Just this past week, a man wearing a mask went screaming into a coffee shop near Seattle with a hatchet in his hand, and he swung the hatchet and he he attacked the cashier. One of the customers at the counter drew his pistol, shot the maniac, and put his pistol back in his holster, went back to drinking his coffee. Solved that problem. Just like the Korean shopkeepers during those riots. There were no Korean shops that were harmed. And the local police were happy to have that solution available. Three percenters at Ferguson saved a lot of homes and a lot of businesses. You may have heard of the three percenters. Those are the people that took an oath years ago to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. I looked at a video this morning. I just turned my computer on. There it was. 
of a police officer standing beside the road, macing motorcyclists passing by with mace. These people were not bothering anybody. There was no riot. They were on the way to a memorial for a, for a veteran that had passed away. And this cop was spraying it with mace as they went by. They were not exceeding the speed limit. They did not have illegal mufflers on their motorcycles. They were Patriot Guard riders going to the funeral of a veteran who had passed away. And a cop was spraying them with mace just for something to do. That cop is not one of the 3%. Because the 3 percenters are people that took an oath, which in my case was 1959, it said they would support and uphold the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Domestic. We have domestic enemies in our country. And the oath that we took pledged us on our sacred honor to support and defend the Constitution. And our forefathers pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to defend our country. Many of them died. Many of them gave up everything. But we still have a country. We'd like to keep it. So, 1998, March 21st, I was in Washington, D.C. And I got up before sunrise. In night. On March 21st, the sun rises at 6 o'clock in the morning everywhere because we're right perpendicular to the path to the sun. The earth tilts to 23 degrees each way, 23 degrees away from the sun in the wintertime, toward the sun in the summertime because our axis is tilted 23 degrees from our path around the sun. That's the way the good Lord laid it out, working out just fine. We have four seasons. People that live on the equator have 12-hour days year-round. Now, our days vary from 9 hours of daylight to 15 hours of daylight. Now, I'll get into this. I was going to talk about solar today, and I don't have time, so I'm going to get into that next time. But <clears throat> when the sun rises at 6 a.m. on March 21st, everywhere in the world it rises in the due east. And the wall, the Vietnam Memorial in D.C., is the east wing of the, of the memorial is right dead due east, exactly. True east, not magnetic east. And the sun comes up parallel with it. I didn't know this. I just happened to be there. That was the only day I was there. It happened to be on March 21st. And I walked there and just... Exactly, right off the end of the wall is the Washington Monument. So the wall, the sun comes up right between the end of the wall and the Washington Monument. And it gets brighter and brighter. And then there's the sun just peeking up over the horizon, over the buildings. And then as it comes up, it illuminates the wall. And the names on the wall become visible. The wall is black granite, just like one of these new big big screen TVs. It's coal black until you turn it on. And the wall is like that at night. 
You can find the name with a flashlight, but it's coal black. And I wrote this on a three-by-five card. I, I wrote the, the names came out of hiding. And, you know, soldiers hide from time to time out of necessity. So, and I wrote the, I took that one line and expanded on it. And on this three-by-five card, I wrote this poem on March 21st, 1998. <clears throat> I went to the wall this morning. It was early, dark, and cold. No one was there in morning. In silence, I felt old. Some joggers paused in passing, in deference to the names. Some children ran by playing, unknowing in their games. The names came out of hiding as the sun performed its thing. And I went back to business on this first day of spring. Roger Eck, Seawolf 25, March 21, 1998. It's a powerful thing going to the wall. 44 names on the wall from my unit. One of my door gunners was killed the week after I left. Nobody in my helicopter got shot in the year that I spent there in Vietnam and Cambodia. Had one minor accident where a 50 caliber round cooked off and a piece of brass stuck in my gunner's knee and he took his jackknife and dug it out and went on with his work. But that was a that was an accident. That was not uh, inflicted by the enemy. And we made it through with nobody got shot. Some scary times. Every single helicopter pilot and door gunner in Vietnam was a volunteer. Now, in the Army, there were a few of them got drafted into the Army. But once in the Army, they volunteered for that duty. They were not drafted to become a door gunner. So that's... Rome went from 1.3 million people in 30 A.D. to 12,000 people in 500 A.D. Now it declined slightly, but about 400 A.D. to 500 A.D., they went from over a million people to 12,000 people. Now... I've looked at these. I looked at the Carthaginians and the Peloponnesian War, and I looked at a lot of history. And collapse of civilizations is due primarily to mismanagement of money and resources. And you look at New York City. If our economy collapses and truckers won't haul food into New York City, what do you suppose the, the population of New York City would be in a year, in two years, in ten years? I figure the population of New York City would probably be about 12,000. People can grow food, potted plants outside their windows and whatnot. But they're not going to have any water other than what they catch in a plastic tarp. 
not going to have any power. A lot of space. They can scrounge around until they find canned food, until all of the canned food has been used up. Not a pleasant prospect that we face in our nation. It's going to be a very interesting summer if they try to take away our freedom. It's a sobering thought. A lot of people move into Maine because the FBI says that Maine is the safest place. Check my cell phone here. My goodness, it is. This has been the North Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, Conscious of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. Hey! They opened fishing season early. Fishing season opened yesterday because so many ponds are out. So many rivers are open. Go fishing. But be careful. That water is oh so cold. Be safe. God bless. Wise men follow him.